hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Last year, we published the first of its kind in depth and breadth money study about the LGBTQ plus community and finance in partnership with The Motley Fool. And some of the findings were shocking. We decided to revisit the same questions that we asked last year, again, in partnership with The Motley Fool to see how things have changed for the community in just one year. You're listening to Queer Money, episode number 436. And today we're sharing the results of the 2023 Motley Fool Deaf Free Guys LGBTQ Plus Money Study with returning guest Jack Caparell of The Motley Fool. Jack is the research lead for The Motley Fool, as well as The Motley Fool Ascent. So for all you money lovers and number lovers, let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome back to the Queer Money Podcast, Jack. We're excited to have you again. Yeah, it's great to be back. It's been about a year, so it's awesome to see you guys. It's been about a year since you've been on the show, but we have been talking pretty much consistently, it feels like, for the last year and a half. That's true. That's true. (laughs) So it's not reacquaintances for for us, but maybe for our listeners. The reason we've been talking, though, is because now we've we've conducted now the second Motley Fool Debt Free Guys LGBTQ Plus Money Study to dive deeper into the state of personal finance for the LGBTQ Plus community. So it's been a year. Why was it important for Motley Fool to do a follow-up study this year? Yeah, we think this study, it's super important. You know, the original reason we did the study is that we saw a lack of really granular detailed data on the financial well-being, the financial status of LGBTQ plus Americans. I think, you know, that's still the case in the year that's gone by. We've seen some improvement in the area, but we'd still obviously like there to be more data, right? It's definitely not on the level of data that's collected just about the general population or collected by race or gender. So there's still that data gap. And we've also seen huge changes in the economy in the last year that we wanted to track. We've seen huge changes in the financial situations of Americans. And then also in, I think, the overall environment that LGBTQ Americans find themselves in. I think you guys can speak more to this and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But I think the economic conditions are meaningfully different this year. And then the overall environment that the LGBTQ community finds themselves in is different. And I think that's reflected in a lot of the findings from the survey. Yeah. You bring up an interesting point. John and I were just looking over a five-year study that has been conducted for the last five years by another really large financial services company, multi-billion dollar, trillion dollar, actually, a financial services company. And John and I were quite surprised that we were looking over the data over those last five years and Sometimes they would include same-sex couples and sometimes they wouldn't. Some years they did, some years they didn't. We were just kind of thinking, thought it was kind of odd. And I think you're, you bring up this good point that without consistent data, individuals are not able to make informed decisions. And without consistent data about our community, LGBT people don't necessarily know whether they are above average, average, below average, what kind of changes or things can they improve on in their lives or what things that they could be or should be celebrating. It really kind of does leave us in the dark with when we want to to, to, to look or, or compare ourselves with kind of the general view of, of the community. Obviously, you know, comparing ourselves individually with another person or another couple, that gets a little risky because <laughs> their circumstances are dramatically different. But generalized, it does give us uh, an opportunity to to look at ourselves and say, where am I at? Where can I improve? Yeah. I mean, businesses want to benchmark. Individuals want to benchmark. We all compare ourselves. And like you said, it's so much better to be, to be able to compare yourself against kind of a, a larger consistent data set than someone you see on social media or someone that you're kind <laughs> of acquaintances with. And we also, you know, we don't want 
it kind of seems like the survey that you're describing, I don't want to put this institution on blast or anything, but it seems like the LGBT Americans, they're kind of an afterthought, right? There wasn't that consistent, deep look at the community. We don't want that to be the case, of course. And we also, you know, want to be a little bit more in depth than just saying same-sex couples, right? So the survey looks at transgender Americans as well as gay and lesbian couples and bisexual Americans. So we want to just be a little bit more in depth than same-sex couples. And and hopefully, you know, we start a trend of more consistent data collection in this area. Yeah. yeah. And I love what you did with the article this year. And I think I'm actually mean you, Jack, <laughs> when you updated the article, you can, if you, when you dive into it, the data on Motley Fool or, or Fool.com, you can compare the results for a lot of the results from this year to last year's. And there's a lot of comparisons to the general population. So it's just really interesting that we're, we're starting to get this like broader holistic picture of how the community is doing from year to year and how we're comparing to the general population, which I think is, yes, it's great for us as LGBTQ plus people ourselves, for the people in personal finance who talk about LGBTQ money and social media influencers. But I think it's also great for hopefully this will catch the attention of our nation's leaders, our community's leaders to see what do we need to do so that this rising tide can lift all boats and we're not just talking about a certain certain demographic over and over and over again. Yeah, right on. And I think having a couple of years worth of data makes it so we're not just looking at a snapshot, but we're, we're able to discuss trends and changes and makes areas where we could see some improvement or areas, you know, kind of where we're feeling good makes that all a little bit more clear. Yeah. So it's just really important to, to stay consistent with this. And definitely when you look back uh, 2022, although not as square in the pandemic as maybe 2021 was, but 2022 was still a year where many of us were still dealing with pandemic-related issues. Some people were still trying to recover, maybe catching up on rent payments that they hadn't been making and feeling the financial stress of that, or out there still trying to find a job because they had been laid off, or were trying to shift careers because they themselves didn't feel safe or comfortable being in a frontline type of job or just wanted something. You know, I think there was a there was a massive shift of people wanting remote only work, right? And so a lot of people were in a very tumultuous state financially, emotionally, all that still in 2022, 2023, we're distancing ourselves from that, which may start to help develop a little bit more realistic picture of what things might be without those kinds of circumstances. Yeah, I think there's something there's something to that when I think we're going to talk about financial stress and discrimination in the financial services industry. And when I was thinking about the changes in the data year over year in those areas in particular, I kind of looked back and was like, well, what happened between 2022 and 2023? And, you know, you mentioned there was a lot of social and financial, I don't necessarily want to know if chaos is the right word, but there were changes happening between 2020 and 2022. But when I was thinking of 2022 to 2023, I was like, those were was also kind of a crazy time, right? Inflation was out of control for a while there. You had the conflict in Ukraine. You had the banks collapsing. You had kind of like chaos in the crypto industry. And, and that's just the financial stuff, right? I think there's also like a whole other story about what's happening in the LGBT community and the environment that those Americans now find themselves in that I think also people might not immediately draw a connection to financial stress and and financial instability and anxiety. But I think that does exist. I think those links are there if you kind of think about it a little bit. So yeah, I think in some respects, the financial situation has calmed since we've gotten out of the pandemic and there is a return to normalcy. But in other respects, like 2022, 2023 was pretty wild, at least in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And isn't chaos synonymous with crypto? Isn't that kind of like a matter? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if on purpose, but I I don't disagree with that sentiment. <laughs> Maybe we need to start an actual crypto called that chaos coin. I, I think that would do really well. <laughs> Probably is one already. <laughs> All right, let's dive into the nitty gritty of it. We'll share some of our feelings on this, but I'm curious to hear from your perspective, what was some of the most striking 
what were some of the most striking differences from your perspective compared to 2022 and 2023? Yeah, I think you know, you guys sent me some notes. I, I don't necessarily disagree with with what I think your thoughts are on this. So increase in financial discrimination or discrimination felt within the financial industry from respondents, 48% felt some discrimination in, in 2022. That's up to 55% in 2023. And then there's a little bit of an increase in respondents saying that they have a high amount of financial stress. And those stood out to me. I would say that they're striking. They're not necessarily shocking, which is a little bit disappointing. I think it's a reflection of just the onslaught of anti-LGBT legislation that have been introduced at the state level. I think, you know, I'm sure that you guys can speak to this much more authority than I can. But from my count, there's been a record number of pieces of legislation submitted at the state level that target LGBT Americans. And like I mentioned before, I think a lot of people will look at the, at those bills, you know, they have to do with, deal with like gender affirming care or youth sports and really say, well, that has nothing to do with wallets of Americans, right? Like what that has nothing to do with your money. But the way that I think about it is it's a signal that some level of discrimination is okay. And I think that works itself through our society in invisible ways. And then it, it does have a financial impact, right? So what if you have to travel out of state to get healthcare? What if you no longer feel comfortable applying for a job in a certain state and you have to take a pay cut to go somewhere else, or you want to send your kid to a college in a certain state? Because the scholarship there that they got from that school is good, but you don't feel comfortable sending them to that state. Mm -hmm. So there are kind of these like second order impacts that I think can be considered discriminatory or can be felt as discriminatory. And then definitely would, would it adds a another layer of, of decision-making, I think, when it comes to your finances. But I'm interested in, in what your take is on, on that in particular and kind of if that's reflective of what you're seeing from your vantage point. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. First of all, I want to say, as a person who is not a member of the LGBT community, I applaud you in actually expressing the way you just did, uh, the fact that this anti-legislation silently creeps into the consciousness and then the subconsciousness of Americans, and that at the subconscious level is where our beliefs and our decision-making start. And so if we are putting into our brains that it's, hey, it's okay to discriminate against somebody because of their gender or sexual orientation, we can do that again. And sometimes it's the, it's the unconscious bias that these people are, they may not know that they're doing it, but it's the unconscious bias that is then being reflected in this, these data points here, right? It's the, or rolling of the eyes or the, when you realize that you're having a conversation with somebody and expressing your gender identity or they hear you have a you know gender non-conforming voice or appearance and that right there is the microaggressions that happen and those of us who are in the LGBT community are very familiar with this especially for those who are gender non-conforming appearance-wise voice-wise all of that we know that the data shows that individuals who are non-binary and trans are at a larger portion experiencing this. But I'm so glad that you came to this conclusion that we didn't have to spoon feed this to you because this is what we really see happening. And this this is why it's so scary is because, like I said, those, those subconscious thoughts then creep into your conscious thoughts and the conscious thoughts make your actions, your actions then really reinforce your beliefs. And so it's this potential for this to two years, five years, 10 years down the road to turn people into very, in some cases, monstrous situations where they are outright discriminating against people. Yeah. I think another thing that led me to, to that, to the conclusion was so many big financial decisions, I think are made 
it's helpful to make them in partnership with another person. So like the example I always come back to is buying a home. Like you want to work with a real estate agent, you want to work with a realtor, right? And if you don't necessarily feel very comfortable, if you get like that eye roll that you mentioned and you don't feel comfortable being like your true self when you're making a decision as big as like buying a home, it's kind of a big issue and it's not necessarily fair or just that only a portion of population has to feel as if they need to deal with those issues. I think the other one that I come back to, like I said, is just, if you don't feel comfortable, like I, I hear these, these stories all the time. You just don't feel comfortable living in a state. You don't feel comfortable sending your kid to school in a certain state, even though they've, they've got a good, good opportunity there. Again, you can view that totally as discriminatory. If the environment in that, in that area is not welcoming. But it does just create a huge amount of of financial stress, especially as you mentioned. I think we're trending a little bit back towards going to work in an office and more in person work. Those it's a, a lot of stress to think I really want this job or I really want to go to school in this state, but I don't feel comfortable doing so. And you know the discrimination numbers they don't just change based on feeling, right? It's not that people got more sensitive over the past the passage of a year, I think, in my opinion, you can't really look at them in a vacuum. I think it's it's pretty clearly correlated to the rhetoric and the legislative action in certain parts of the country. Yeah. What I thought was most striking about that particular data point, the increase from 48 to 55% from 2022 to 2023, was the, I don't know what the exact accounting term is or or a, a data term is but the 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 wide margin there the increase it wasn't just 2% or 3% it was 7% and so that to me i think was concerning and and if you had any doubt about the 48% last year this sort of reinforces that at, at least 48% feel like they've been discriminated against by somebody in the industry and so to your point if, if you can't talk to your bank teller your financial advisor or your accountant without feeling like you're going to be discriminated against, you might not have those conversations or you might not ask certain conversations, certain questions, or you might try to make those transactions be as quick as possible so you can hopefully avoid getting the eye roll. And then you miss the opportunities to ask deeper and better questions to get better results. And I think you're right. It just seems like it's very closely correlated to the, the tenor of the national dialogue we're having right now. I think it's unfortunate because, you know, personally speaking, I think like the world of finance and the world of, of, of personal finance could be like lonely sometimes. And you do, it's very hard to navigate it on your own. Mm -hmm. And then when you turn to resources, it can be hard to find resources that align with you personally, with your character, with your values, or you feel so you know, like this financial advisor is is kind of built or geared towards someone who's much wealthier than I am. Mm. And that's coming from, you know, like I, I'm, a, I'm a, a straight white male who doesn't really have a lot of problems at navigating the world, if you will, right? And, and I sometimes feel as certain financial tools and institutions are really geared towards me. So for LGBT Americans, it's a, it's a completely different environment that they're operating in. And having to to navigate your personal finances and and your investments and and financial milestones feeling like you have to do that by yourself it's very challenging and very daunting and certainly can generate a lot of stress and i think a lot of these spaces you know already are aren't necessarily geared towards diverse audiences so to see that the feeling of discrimination is on the rise is definitely there's some work to be done there yeah yeah i, I also think it's kind of interesting that if there was a data point regarding other minority communities, let's just say, when you look at the true numbers, although it increased by 7%, yes, but the reality is, is that 15%, roughly 15% more LGBT Americans were experiencing discrimination compared to last year. If that was happening with women, if that was happening with people of color, that would be splashed all over the media, right? If there was some, that's a significant change in that that many more 
that an increase of 15% in the number of people who are experiencing it, it, that would be splashed all over the place. But this is a data point that just gets discriminated against, I think. Yeah, I think it's that's you know the first thing that I said is I I found the increase to be striking but not necessarily shocking and I do think it's a a, a sad reflection of just the the political environment that much of the country finds itself in. Do you think it's interesting that there wasn't an equal increase in the financial stress of respondents? I would, as, know, as an LGBT, LGBT person, I'm kind of feeling like to your point. So here we are being discriminated against. It's going back to the seventies and fifties, right? <laughs> so here we go again. I'm just curious from your perspective, if you're surprised by that, there's not a more closely correlated increase. Yeah, I was definitely surprised that the financial stress numbers weren't higher, you know, based on just like the economic conditions that we've talked about over the past year. And then also other surveys that have been published on like the wallets of Americans and their ability to do things like cover unexpected finances and their ability to keep up with the cost of living. All a lot of other data suggests that folks are under more financial stress. But the point that I think you raised is is kind of interesting. Just like is this kind of status quo the norm? Like it is is it just it is what it is, and and folks are used to dealing with that amount of stress. That would be unfortunate if if it's the case. Yeah. Absolutely. So you just brought it up. I, I, you know, one of the questions that we have here is the, the, one of the leading concerns for the LGBTQ plus community is that at 68% for the second year in a row is unplanned financial emergencies. Are you seeing that in other data for other demographics? Yeah, so definitely. The population overall, for the first time, there's a year-over-year decline in the percentage of Americans that have three months of emergency savings. First time that's declined in a decade. Another sign of fragility, just two thirds of Americans could cover a $400 emergency expense. And that has also the first year over year decline since 2013. Minority groups are much less likely to be able to cover that type of expense, less than half, as are less educated Americans, right? And you see the same pattern with emergency savings. So yeah, there is overall more, I think overall more Americans are in fragile economic situations. Whether that translates into high financial stress, I think is a separate question, right? I think some people might not know like the three months of emergency savings rule, and they might just be like, my savings are like looking a little low, but that's okay. It's just an expensive month. Whereas I'm the type of person where it's just like, oh my God, alarm bells, alarm bells, alarm bells. I would be in the high financial stress category for sure. But yeah, you, you do see high, high financial stress, I think, reflected in, in other communities, for sure, for sure. And it is, again, minority Americans and less educated Americans that are put in more fragile situations. And I, I think that's largely just proof that inflation is regressive and it's a, it's a tough beast to reckon with. And that was my follow-up question. Do you attribute most or all of that to inflation? Because the second year in a row as well as keeping up with the cost of living is the top priority of respondents to the study. Yeah, I do attribute a lot of that to inflation, especially because minority Americans, non-white Americans, and less educated Americans, they make less, they have less income than white Americans, more educated Americans. And you see them struggling more with emergency savings and the ability to cover an unexpected expense while inflation is happening. So I think that that is that is proof or some evidence that inflation is is linked to the economic fragility that you're seeing. And if we've run other surveys, inflation is a always a top concern for those surveys when we ask the general public. And I think, you know, even though inflation is cooling a bit, still relatively elevated and it just takes time I think to adjust to price changes, like this is kind of a silly example, but it's the one that always sticks out to me when I'm doing work in this area. It's just like, I'm, I'm still not really buying eggs and like the price of eggs for a while was insane. And, and I think it'll just take a minute for folks to be like, this is just how expensive things are and they're not going to get cheaper and I need to readjust my budget. And and that's really challenging. I remember earlier this year I I sat down and I was just like, do I really need, do I really need the Netflix subscription? 
is this year the year to shop around for different car insurance? You know, are we really going to be able to go to, you know, this bachelor party, et cetera. And it's just going to take a while for folks for their budgets to readjust and, and realize that, you know, the prices aren't going to come down. I think that the, the pairing of the increase in inflation, as dramatic as it was, and the non-dramatic increase in overall wages going up. And we all know that, as you point out, the individuals who probably benefited the most from wages going up are the people who work in those sectors and companies and cities where it's almost a requirement that your wage goes up, right? People who are working for the Amazons, Facebooks, Google's big financial institutions, there's so much demand there that if you don't raise wages as inflation is going up, we are going to jump ship and go somewhere else. But the individual who is the you know, the frontline worker at, at Chipotle or the individual who is the, you know, the, the, the mechanic that works in a, in a shop, there was less increase in their wages. And so those individuals, they just saw this widening gap, right? When it used to take me three hours of work to be able to take my family out to to dinner. Now it takes me four or five hours worth of work to take my family out to dinner, or as you said, to buy a dozen eggs. Now, you know, people, even though we don't sometimes consciously make those calculations, I think subconsciously we make those calculations and say to ourselves, okay, I just don't make enough money for us to be able to do this, which is really difficult because that starts to reinforce a, a little bit of a scarcity mindset in people. And I think that me personally, that's where I see a lot of this financial stress occurring is in this daily, almost daily reminder when you go to make a purchase of this is more expensive. I don't make enough money. I probably shouldn't do this, but I'm going to put it on my credit card or I'm going to make this purchase and I'll figure out where to sacrifice somewhere else. And that those kinds of those are becoming much more common decisions or thought process in people's heads in 2022, 2023 than they probably were before. Yeah, I think I spent more time. I saw more surprising grocery receipts over the past year and a half than in my entire time buying groceries for myself. Right. I kind of, I wouldn't say that I track that, but I do notice for sure. Yeah. So I think we, you know, we talked about that's kind of like a daily, like chip away at your mental health type of, of thinking that I, that I don't know that a lot of people like really slow down and, and process necessarily. And then I think the other thing that I thought about when looking at the financial stress numbers is bigger picture wise, I think things have kind of just in the economy seemed a little disjointed and unpredictable for like a while now. So we had COVID and then we had, you know, working from home, we had layoffs in in the immediate aftermath of COVID, we had supply chain disruptions, and then we kind of had like a disjointed reopening of the economy after COVID. And then just as we were getting out of COVID, we had what happened with Silicon Valley Bank and other banks folding. You had FTX and crypto chaos, as we've labeled it. And you had inflation. And then you had the, the Fed hiking rates. And then you had the conflict in Ukraine. And how is that going to affect food prices? And it's kind of like that's been going on for, for at least three years. And I think even if you're doing well, or you're doing okay financially. So if you're part of that group that has had their wages grow during the last three years, I think that could still cause everything that's kind of happening in the background, I think still could generate some level of financial anxiety and financial stress, just because things seem very unpredictable. And you kind of ask, you know, do the institutions and structures that we have in place to kind of keep the economy chugging are they working or are they showing some cracks? And I don't know. It just seems it seems like for the past like three years we've had. You know, are we going to have a? Are we going to be in a recession next quarter? Are we going to have a soft landing? Are we going to have a hard landing? I think that kind of unending conversation also generates quite a bit of of financial anxiety, even if you're not feeling it in your pocketbook or in your wallet. That was a question I was going to ask you. How much do you think that? 
ever present, persistent, nonstop talk about inflation has affected people's perception of what's going on in the economy and not necessarily their real world experience, but their perception of their real world experience. I'm not I'm not dismissing inflation at all and low wages, but it just seems like the last three years we've been talking about inflation's coming, inflation's coming, inflation's coming. It's like, okay, I'm batting down the hatches and I'm getting ready and it doesn't come. But then it's like the broken clock is right twice a day. Inflation's coming someday, <laughs> right? We know it's yeah. going to happen. So like, how much do you think that, that played into it? I think it plays into the the level of financial anxiety that people are feeling quite a bit. Just because like I said before, I think most Americans, they want to get their, everybody gets their read on the economy and their financial information from somewhere. A lot of people opt to get it from talking heads and the media. And I think the media has been, I think the economic news for the past three years has been pretty intense and and pretty nonstop. So yeah, I, I do think that would generally generate some level of anxiety. And, and even if you're like getting your information straight from Jerome Powell and Janet Yellen, they do their They're best. They're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody, no, <laughs> says no one ever, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you, it's it's interesting because like, if you need help falling asleep at night, they have like a very, I think they deliver <laughs> their statements to be like as least shocking as possible as the, right. They want to be as calm as possible. But then if you kind of like read or what they haven't actually listened to what they've been saying, like maybe this stuff doesn't actually help me sleep at night. You know, just have a very <laughs> calm delivery. But, but all that to say, yeah, I think even, even divorced from economic conditions on the ground, I think talking about like playing the recession prediction game for three years is not <laughs> a soothing experience for anybody. Yeah. And yet I guess it's it's interesting. We still seem to find money, although some people are pulling it from their 401ks, we still find money to go to Beyonce and, and Taylor Swift and pay th- but, two, three thousand, four thousand dollars for tickets that are seventy-seven rows back. <laughs> there have been several yeah. articles about how concerts tickets specifically Beyonce's and Taylor Swift's have actually contributed to inflation. Like it, they could be the culprits. They yeah, are I mean, not single-handedly doing that, but they're part of it. Don't get me started on uh, <laughs> Taylor Swift. What an opportunity that has that has passed me by because I just didn't have those two thousand dollars. Right, <laughs> right. I, but, I hear some but, sarcasm in, in Jack's voice. <laughs> I mean, I would have died to go see the Eras tour. So now, now everybody on your podcast knows that I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. I was in the top 13% of Taylor Swift listeners on, on Spotify this year. Oh, you were. If, Congratulations. If, thank you. Yeah, the things that matter. That a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how many do times think... in this, you don't know how many times in this episode I've wanted to say girlfriend, <laughs> but it sounds Feel free. Like it's, I was going to say, sounds like it's okay. <laughs> yeah, totally. Okay. I think, I, I do think that you raise another point about financial stress and anxiety where it's like, you know, I found myself overthinking, not necessarily overthinking, but I've definitely found myself thinking more about, do I need to buy this? Right. The eggs streaming, the Taylor Swift concerts, et cetera. And it is tough because you don't want to be, at least in my opinion, you don't want to be so budget obsessed and so future-proofing your financial well-being that you don't spend on things that really make you happy. And you don't spend on these kind of like once-in-a-lifetime experiences. I would put the Taylor Swift concert in a once-in-a-lifetime experience that you sacrifice on spending on those. You want to be in the position to spend on those and say, maybe it's a little bit outside of my budget, but I'm acknowledging that and and responsible enough to make the expense and know what I need to do to right the ship in future months. But I do think, yeah, that inflation has kind of kicked all of that into overdrive. And that also definitely generates some financial anxiety as well. I wonder if... This has to be the case. I wonder if people are just saying to themselves, I've dealt with three years of garbage, you know, between the pandemic and everything else that's going on in the world. And now we're heading into this like tumultuous election. And we thought we were kind of done with that after what's his name didn't get voted back into office. And so we thought there was gonna be some quiet peace and quiet, but now we're like going back in. I wonder if people are starting to say, you know what? I don't know if I'm gonna be here for another three years. So if, and who knows if Taylor Swift is gonna ever tour again, right? 
she probably will, right? I'm not saying anything about her, whether or not she wants to continue her career, but I, you just don't know. She, you, nothing, you don't know what's going to happen. So maybe I just buy these $2,000 tickets and provide myself that, that once in a lifetime experience and just kind of have a mental health two hour holiday. I think that's partly what is happening is that I think that probably there are a lot of people who are saying, okay, this has been horrible. I need a break. And it's moved from I need a break, let's go to brunch, to I need a break and I need it to be so big that I can remember this moment for a long time and use this as my touchstone as I get back to real life and have to deal with all this crap again. And so we're okay making those kinds of decisions, knowing that what's another thousand, maybe this is what people say, what's another thousand dollars or two thousand dollars on my ten thousand dollars in credit cards? Right. Yeah, I think that's definitely an attitude that many folks probably have, especially when it comes to like, it reminds me student loan debt payments are kicking back up at the end of the year or in the right. fall. And it's like, well, if I'm already tens of thousand dollars in in debt for my student loans, then yeah, what's another 2K on the credit card? Obviously, I'm not going to say that that's a brilliant way to think about your finances, but it is. But this is a conversation that I that I kind of do struggle with quite a bit, which is just how beholden should you be to your budget, if, especially when it comes to sacrificing on things that aren't going to break the bank, but are outside of your budget and would truly make you happy. And you know, I'm a really big advocate of just like be honest with your about with yourself about your spending. Be honest with yourself about your budgeting. Have a a long term plan to make sure that you can retire comfortably or aim to do so. But yeah, that does sometimes rub up against the things that you want to do now and the things that are important to you now. And it's up to each individual to kind of make those decisions. I kind of I, you know the things that I try not to sacrifice on are like seeing friends as a big one. And then also, yeah, big once in a lifetime events. But yeah, you know, I think also, I don't want to sell Taylor Swift short. I think some people really, maybe they needed to get out after the past three years. I think some people also really just would spend any amount of money to go see her. And that's the reality of her stardom. Well, kind of related, but not. Did you know that there is this trend of people the day after they go see Taylor Swift forgetting the experience of being there like they know they were there but they forget what actually happened in the moment oh. it's like they're they're like they're, they're losing their memory on this particular experience and scientists are, are thinking that what's happening is that they're going to these experience this experience and it's such a dopamine rush that their body doesn't their, their brain doesn't know what to do with it and so it, the easiest thing for it to do is to kind of erase their memory so to speak so now they got to go and rent the video anyway <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to say, John and I are, are in no way able to stand in judgment because in the middle of us paying off our credit card debt, we flew to Vegas and saw Madonna. And and to this day, we'll still, we still say it was the best show we've ever seen live. Yes. So yeah, we I actually saw it twice. <laughs> I think that's a great example of like, is what is your lifestyle? Is it splurging or is it being responsible and knowing when you can, when it is worth it to splurge. Right. And those are right. two very different things. So you can operate in a very budget payoff debt centered framework. And that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have fun. That doesn't mean that you're not allowed to spend money. It just means that you have to be honest with yourself. And ultimately I think doing that to bring this back to the like financial anxiety stuff, it can be very anxiety inducing to be like, okay, I've got this whatever type of debt, credit card, auto, student loan. And you know, this is my income and this is how much I kind of spend on all of, all, all of my necessary expenses. And it can be very anxiety inducing and very stressful to kind of put that into a, a spreadsheet or an app and be like, this is my actual financial picture. It's kind of like, you know, looking at the monsters in the closet, it's kind of scary. But I think after you do that and kind of get over that hump and make a plan, you're because you've kind of addressed all of that stuff head on the level of financial anxiety that you have is hopefully much lower like day to day. And then you, you would feel more comfortable going to see Madonna and going to Vegas, despite the fact that it might not fit into your monthly budget, but you can maybe make it fit into your yearly budget. So yeah, that's just kind of my take on, on financial anxiety, budgeting, inflation, concerts, 
Taylor Swift. <laughs> Peace whistle. Yeah, sorry. I took us, so, down a, I took us down a crazy path there by bringing up Taylor Swift. We've always found it to be very beneficial to have a, a plan. Whether or not we're actually sticking with that plan all the time, lockstep, is one thing. But we've always found it beneficial and, and reduce, reduces our financial anxiety when we have a plan. So what tools or resources does The Motley Fool have for our listeners and viewers to help them with their emergency savings and also help them with maybe to beat help fight inflation? Yeah. So for the emergency savings front, I'd recommend a couple of things. Motley Fool has recommendations for all of them based on you know our, our experts in each area. First step would be to look at your budget, look at your total financial picture and just kind of understand it, come to terms with it and, and accept it. They're great budgeting apps that help you do this. I highly recommend using a budgeting app just because it, especially one that kind of gets all of your accounts and all of your investments and all of your debt on the same screen. And then you can just have like a full picture and it will yeah. automatically update. Found that to be super helpful. The second thing that I would recommend is automating. So if you know you need to make that credit card payment every month, if you know you need to make that student loan payment every month, if you know you need to make that auto loan payment every month, automate it. It's just like, you can kind of set and don't forget, but you can set it and you don't have to go through a bunch of different clicks and be like, got to move money from this account and and so on. That takes gives you time back, produces stress, at least for me. Third thing is look into high-yield savings account if you want to boost those emergency savings. Some of the most competitive high-yield savings accounts offer over 3% interest. For folks who don't have a lot of savings, that doesn't sound like that much, but it all adds up and it all helps. And the rates right now are, are super competitive. So we have recommendations for, for those as well. And then, you know, finally, it might be time to like shop around for like auto insurance or home insurance or, or see if maybe you can refinance some private loans. I would not recommend refinancing your federal loans in case those do ultimately get forgiven down the, down the road. But yeah, it might be time to shop around for deals. That's something, you know, that I haven't personally done in a couple of years and it's on my agenda to do this year to try and find some savings. So that's where I would start. Nice. Love it. Yeah. One of the things that the study also highlighted this year and last year was that the LGBTQ plus community has a, seems to have a low engagement rate with financial services, products, and tools. How do you suggest that we close that gap so that our listeners take your recommendation and also use other important tools to help you reach financial security? Yeah. So what, we, what we're doing at The Fool is continuing to highlight investors with diverse and underrepresented backgrounds. We have the Investors Like Me campaign that we talked about the last time I was on the show, I believe. And you know when we launched that, we, we did another study. We found that less than 50% of American adults and a lower percentage from those in underrepresented, underrepresented groups uh, reported having a financial role model growing up, especially one that they could relate to, right? So that's like someone who shares a characteristic with them. But we did find that when people did have a role model, they were more likely to invest. They were more likely to have a savings account. They were more likely to think about, be thinking about retirement and, and so on. And I think this goes back to what we talked about at the top of the episode about discrimination in the financial services industry, about folks feeling comfortable turning and, and looking for help and making big financial decisions. Like is is and it gets back to to the question of is there a feeling of belonging for LGBT Americans in the financial space, in the investing space, in the real estate space, and and so on. And, and if not, how do we go about creating those spaces? So yeah, working on that at the full again with investors like me. But I'm interested if what suggestions you have for folks who want to find someone who's like them and can help them along their financial journey. Ooh, look at that. Touche. Yeah. Making us do some work. <laughs> I will say that I would caution people about the resources of where they're getting that information or where they're get, they're looking for those individuals. It's unfortunate that there's a, a lot, there's there's been a lot of wannabe superstars on TikTok talking about financial information and they're sharing some risky information they're sharing some wrong information so please be careful do don't take it for face value whatever wherever it is or whoever it is you're getting that information from especially if they haven't demonstrated to you in a way that they actually 
have practiced what they preached. That's it's we. I think a lot of us have a desire to to find somebody who is like us. But please be careful because just because they look like you or sound like you or or come from your community doesn't necessarily mean that they are experienced and have that kind of the, the what the the true information you need. But that being said. We are in an age where there are so there's so many individuals out there today that are from our our communities, whether that's a person of color, whether it's an LGBTQ person, who you identify with. There are places on Instagram and Threads and Twitter or X or whatever the heck it's being called now, and there are all these places that we, you can find individuals to start gleaning some of that information. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, we're going to sh- say there's there are other podcasts out there to go in and grab that information, get more information too, if you want to take a deeper dive than we cover on some of these topics. I would add, I think probably a lot of our listeners and viewers will immediately take your recommendations, do probably have a lot of the products, services, and tools that help you reach financial security. So I think maybe this is more of a grassroots effort than anything. It, you know, The listeners and viewers of this show need to go out and sort of be the evangelists of talking to their friends and family, especially those who are they know in the LGBTQ plus community and, and kind of just have the courage to say, do you have a budgeting app? Do you do you have an emergency savings account? Or do you have a strategy for building your emergency savings? How would you cover a $400 emergency? Like maybe, then maybe that's what our listeners and viewers need to do is sort of be the evangelist and have this conversation at a grassroots level with the people that they know and sort of get the conversation going and then you know help fill in the gaps. They don't necessarily need to be the, the expert, but they can say, hey, The Motley Fool has all this great information. The Criminal Podcast has this information. And you know we've list resources all the time on this podcast that people can go to. If they don't necessarily resonate with us, that can hopefully help them reach financial security. So I think I, 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 we go back to this all the time. I just think it, it all comes back to just needing to have the conversation, talking about it. And that can kind of germinate from there of, of what else you need and fill in the gaps as you need. And I'll throw out there just uh, in kind of piggybacking off of what John said, have the confidence to share yeah. what you know. The reality is, is that that none of us were born into this world as financial experts. And the vast majority of people who are financial experts learned that information from someone else. They didn't learn all of it through trial and error. They learned from someone else. And whether that is getting that information from tools, podcast books, videos, social media, or they got that information from the conversations that they carry on. One of the things that I think a lot of us get really angry about and fed up with is the good old boys club. But the reality is, is that the what's happening at the good old boys club is that they're just masterminding. They're talking to each other about what they know and are are interested in, and and yes, it's exclusionary. And I'm not I'm not saying that it's an okay thing, but we can create our own good old persons club, right? Create that with your group of friends. When you have a, a little piece of knowledge, you've learned something, talk about it. Because one, if you have the confidence to talk about it, you know you're going to talk to somebody who doesn't. And if they don't know about it, you're helping them. And if you do talk to somebody who knows something about it, maybe they know a little bit more than you and you can learn something from them, right? It's It becomes this kind of vicious cycle amongst the community. If we have the confidence to talk to each other about it, we learn and become more powerful as a community when we have those kinds of conversations. Ah, beautifully said. Love all of that. Love the uh, grassroots finance, like financial advice are... are- terms that don't often go together, but I do think it's so anti-gatekeeping and so much of the industry is gatekept or can appear to be gatekept that it's just a brilliant way to look at things. Thank you. We applaud ourselves too. <laughs> this is just Before we wrap things up, I'm curious, what responses are you or The Motley Fool getting from last year's study and, and this year's study from everyday readers, as well as maybe even financial advisors? Are you getting any sort of response or feedback on the value or the results or lack thereof? So, I mean, I know that folks that look at The Fool who are engaged with the LGBT community always look forward to the study. We get input from them. 
on the front end. And then we get input just like on the survey itself, questions that we're asking, we get input from them on the written product. And then I know that they look at that, all the data that they collect when they're making their own decisions, regardless of what part of the company they're working in. So hopefully that all trickles up and we create an environment that feels more welcoming to a more diverse audience. And the other thing that we're loving so far is media pickup. So we love when a big national media outlet or a smaller local outlet cites the work that we've done in partnership with with you all. So yeah, we're proud of it. And we look forward to, to continuing to do the survey on a regular basis. Nice. That's awesome. And I'm just going to throw in there, folks, if, as you're listening, if you are involved in the media, LGBT media especially, it's a great opportunity to throw something to your editors, or if you're an editor, throw something to an editor that they are, we, we, you've heard us talk about this. We complain that there isn't much when it comes to personal finance on LGBTQ media. This is a perfect opportunity. This is a very striking study, as, as Jack has said, and it's data worth imparting to other members of the community. With that, where can the audience and how can the audience connect with you, The Motley Fool, and where ultimately can they find this study? Oh, you know what? We'll, we'll just provide it in the show notes. Okay. Where can they connect yeah. with you and The Motley Fool? <laughs> yeah. where You can get all this info on fool.com. And then if you want personal finance product recommendations, just Google The Motley Fool Ascent. That's our personal finance side of the business. Nice. Thank you very much for coming on the show, for continuing to do this study and this important work for the community. We very much appreciate it. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. And it's just a, a survey that's become near and dear to our, our hearts. So we're going to keep plugging away and turning out new data every year. Awesome. Thank you. Love it. Thank you. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you, Jack, for another great interview. Thank you, Motley Fool, again, for conducting another important and much-needed study for the LGBTQ plus community. To our listeners and viewers, thank you for joining us for another episode. Subscribe to the Queer Money newsletter in your podcast player or the YouTube description below to get this week's Queer Money takeaway, how to connect with Jack, and your tip to reach financial independence faster. Then join us this Thursday when we talk about the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city to live in in Mississippi. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. <laughs> and then next Tuesday when we talk with Dr. Sarah Zeff Geber about how LGBTQ plus solo agers can retire successfully. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.